listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm your host for the week, Trisha Brown, and this is episode number 441.5. We are rapidly approaching the end of the calendar year, which I think, at least for some people, can lead to some level of introspection, especially given what's going on in the world and the horrific tragedies that we have seen across the globe this year. And also, for a lot of people, this is a season of joy and connection. So for a lot of us who are trying to manage our lives and be good citizens of the world, it's a really complicated time. Honestly, for all of those reasons and some personal ones, this is also a really complicated time of year for me, too. And if that's the case for you as well, I'm pretty sure one thing that you don't need from me is for me to tell you what to read to be a better person or citizen of the world or fan of the Grinch or Rudolph or whatever your thing is this time of year. And if you are listening to this podcast, you are grown up enough to make those decisions for yourself. Sometimes we offer a little bit of guidance, but today is not one of those days. So today we are going way off the holiday theme, frankly, pretty far off of the introspection theme as well. Mostly you can decide based on kind of different content of different books, but we'll come back around to that. And today we're going to talk about the horror graphic novels you might be missing in your life. Is it kind of weird to do that in early December? Sure. But maybe the thing that you and your brain need right now is to take a hard turn into something that's a little weird. And after we take a quick break, that's exactly what we're going to do. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelid. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, everybody, I have talked about graphic novels and graphic nonfiction on this show before, and I will remind you that I certainly do not consider myself an expert, but graphic writing of whatever fiction or nonfiction type is a form that I always really enjoy when I do take the time to poke around a bit. Also, horror is a genre that I'm also not in a lot, but when my own personal brain was craving a new direction, I don't know, two or three months ago... I decided to wade around a little bit in the dark, murky, sometimes corpse-laden waters of graphic novel horror. And it turns out that the form of graphic writing and the genre of horror are actually a really exceptional and interesting fit. So let's talk uh, about a few of the books that illustrate why. Ah, pun intended. First, let's talk about Emily Carroll's Through the Woods. Through the Woods is actually a collection of five short graphic horror stories. So if you are just thinking about dipping the littlest corner of a toe into those murky waters I was talking about, this could be a great place to start because the commitment level is really quite low. It's a little hard to describe these stories because I've not seen anything quite like this genre in this form. It's almost as if You had a collection of a half dozen super creepy picture books, like the kind that you would get from the children's section of the library. As a side note, if you have small children in your home, you might not want to leave this book in particular around. I care part-time for my four- and six-year-old nephews, and my the four-year-old loves books. He saw the colorful illustrations, and he does not understand the concept of, if I read this to you, you'll never sleep again. So things got a little complicated here. But that aside, I will say that the thing that kept me as someone who is not four years old up at night, maybe just a little bit when I read Through the Woods, is the ambiguity and kind of lack of conclusiveness that Carol bakes into these stories. The way that she lets her imaginations fill in the blanks about what happens to the girl when she gets to the house or what the bleep is going on with that brother, feels like a classic horror approach, using our own minds as a tool to complete the story, to fill out the story, or to allow us to just keep wondering. It's a really effective method. The art is also weird and wonderful and sometimes kind of gross in a good horror-y way. Carol works in a lot of red and blue tones that are set against black and white, and it has the effect of evoking various things. But for me, especially kind of the temperature and feeling, like you see a lot of that red and you feel the heat and the guilt and a lot of, you know, also killing and murder and stuff. You know, that's obviously true. But there's also kind of the blue and the cold feeling that comes through a lot of that. Like I said, this book is a quick read. The stories are even quicker. So if you want to just try something out, Through the Woods is a great option. My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris is considerably denser, though it employs some of the same narrative mechanisms in its own way. 
It does clock in at over 400 pages. So this one is long, particularly for a graphic novel. But I'm going to guess that there's a pretty good chance that you're going to wish it was longer. The storytelling device of my favorite thing is Monsters is that it's ostensibly the journal of a 10-year-old named Karen Reyes who's growing up poor in Chicago in the late 1960s. Karen wishes that she was a monster and dreams of becoming one, even drawing herself in her journal with what we might consider monstrous features. The reasons why she has this sort of interest in becoming a monster, why it's her great life desire, become clearer over the course of the book. Though one key one that is not super surprising is that monsters are actually safer and have a lot more power than 10-year-old girls and even than most women. And Ferris makes it clear throughout the course of the book that they're all different kinds of monsters in the world and in Karen's life, even the real version of it and not that fictional version that she's drawing and creating through her journal. The through line of the book is Karen's attempt to solve the murder of her upstairs neighbor, Anka, who is a survivor of the Holocaust, as well as a survivor of sex trafficking when she was a child. And this is probably a good time to mention that there are some real content warnings for this book, including, as I mentioned, sex trafficking of children, attempted rape of a child, parental terminal illness. There's a lot going on here. So I think this book is amazing. And if those things are things that you can manage and handle as a reader proceed. If they are not, then just take good care while you're reading this book. I will also say it's sort of interesting that even as the story contains some immensely deep and intense elements, we're seeing them through Karen's 10-year-old eyes. She certainly is not naive, and her perspective doesn't minimize those topics or even really soften them. But it does, I think, tend to remove a little bit of the emotion because a child that age just isn't processing that kind of trauma in her journal. She's just reporting on what she's seeing and, and hearing and leaving the emotional processing, or at least as much as of it as we want to do to those of us who are reading the story. So I think it's a really interesting perspective and way of doing things. But again, some of those topics are really heavy. The art in this book is extraordinary. Again, I don't claim to be an expert on this, but it is unlike anything that I have seen. Since it's a journal, or ostensibly a journal, the entire novel is set on lined and hole-punched spiral-bound paper that will be familiar to anyone who went to school, at least in a pre-tablet time. And it's done entirely in pen. I don't think that's actually how Ferris did the art. I think there was computer involvement somehow, but that is absolutely what the look of it is. It's as if you had, speaking of the 90s, one of those pens that had four cartridges, one for blue, one for green, one for black, and one for red. You could pick one at a time. And anyway, it's like you took one of those pens and drew a brilliant 400-page graphic novel with it, you know, as one does. Some of the illustration, obviously, is more spare, of course, but there are also these recreations of famous paintings that just knocked my socks off, especially after I learned that Ferris contracted West Nile at 40. She became paralyzed from the waist down. She lost the use of her drawing hand and then had to reteach herself to draw. And then she decided that since she'd done that, she might as well become a graphic novelist. And she wrote this book because why not? It's extraordinary, but it is also it would be extraordinary even if that story wasn't behind it. It's just to all of our benefit that that is what she did. This book is really incredible. And before I wrap up, I'm going to do one more quick shout out to another book that I really liked in this kind of horror graphic novel reading adventure. That is a book called The Beauty, specifically volume one, 
which pulls together the first six issues of a comic by Jeremy Hahn and Jason A. Hurley. So the concept of this one pulled me in. So the beauty is a sexually transmitted disease that makes anyone who has it pretty immediately conventionally beautiful. And we have all been on the earth long enough to know what that means. Given that that beauty exists, there's this contingent of people who are trying to get it, this contingent of people who are hugely and adamantly opposed to it. All of that is super complicated, and it gets even more complicated when people with beauty start just internally combusting from the inside. They're exploding on things like subway cars and morning shows. So there's a lot going on there. There's a layer as well of intrigue that has to do with government intervention and the pharmaceutical industry and how the beauty and all of its baggage impacts relationships and all kinds of other stuff. And I think you can kind of get into that as deep as you do or don't want to. So you can either wrangle with complex themes and think them through, or honestly, you can just stick around and see if the good guys win or the bad guys win. It is very okay to choose any of those options. You get to make your own decisions about the beauty. And actually about all of these books, in fact, and all of the other books. And now I will leave you to make those decisions. Thank you, as always, to our sponsor. And a huge thanks as well to our audio editor, Caitlin Brame. And thank you, of course, for listening. For more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. You can find the books that I mentioned today in the show notes by visiting bookriot.com slash all the books. They might actually even just be right there in your podcatcher. Just take a look, see what it is. Don't forget that if you are a fan of all the books and all the backlists and you want to show a little love, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We support you and we appreciate your support as well. We do genuinely appreciate it. It helps other book lovers find us. If you want to find me personally, mostly you will find me on Instagram or Blue Sky at Trisha Healy Brown. Until we talk again, please do take good care. Happy reading. And someone, I think Liberty, will be here with you next week, but I will be with you in the new year. Cheers, all. Cheers.